Well, the old happily ever after scenes in movies, they're pretty good fun. I enjoy a good story. But sometimes I find the end of the story, the, the, the thing that we've been fighting for all this time, is often a little bit of a letdown. I don't know if you guys find this in the movies, but I do. You, you've trekked all the way across Middle Earth, climbed a giant volcano, chucked a ring in a thing, and everyone's died for it, and at the end you're left kind of going, ah, oh, that's a little bit anticlimactic. Was it really, really worth it? Take Star Wars, for example. Uh, the end of Star Wars, Darth Vader... Sorry, I'm sorry if this is a spoiler for you. You're about 50 years too late, so deal with it. But Darth Vader, he's been defeated. The Empire's been crushed, but it wasn't easy. I mean, whole planets have been blown up, Luke's lost his hand, uh, Obi-Wan is dead, uh, and, and so what do you get? It's a really, really big deal to get to this final end, and what do you get? You get this weird Ewok dance party in the woods, and you got, I think that's Lando Calrissian up the back there, awkwardly clapping along, and then that's the end, that's all you get. Is it, is it Lando? Someone help me here. Yes, beautiful. I should have fact-checked that earlier. Um, and not just, not just Star Wars, Harry Potter. You've got the infamous 19 years later scene at the train station. Voldemort, he's been taken care of, but at what cost? I mean, it's been huge. Dumbledore's paid the ultimate price. Fred is dead, which awkwardly rhymes. Um, and Harry's had a whole bunch of tanties along the way to get us to this point. But we're here. But was it worth it? All that fighting for what? For, for Ginny to settle for Harry? Um, not to mention she settled for a pretty rough haircut there as well. Um, and her kids are just a bunch of dweebs. Was it really worth it, all that struggle for, for that haircut and that young man? I don't think so. And then you got Lord of the Rings. Don't even get me started about the extended edition, Return of the King. My goodness. Now, the book has got this awesome extra fight where they have to take back Hobbit Town. That's really cool. But in the movies, you've just got 10 minutes of Frodo lying in this bed, one after another, people coming in, slow motion hugs and dances, jumping around. It's, it's hard to watch. Was it really worth it? All that struggle, all that fighting to get to these ends. Now, forget the stories. What about real life? What about the Christian life? where we're headed when it's all said and done. When the journey's over, when the struggle's finished, it's all done, will heaven be worth it? Now, I know you're sitting in a church, of course, we're supposed to say, of course, heaven's going to be great, it'll be all good, heaven's going to be the best. But I think actually as Christians, often we have a underwhelming picture of heaven and the future. You imagine this kind of weird fluffy, far-off hope of floating in the clouds and singing forever a bunch of repetitive songs, harps, all that kind of stuff. Our, our picture of heaven is, it's important, it's good, it's, it's pure, it's holy, but maybe it feels a little bit kind of like, meh? I don't know. Do I really want to be there for forever? Uh, Herdy said last week, if you play a word association game with a bunch of high schoolers, you say the word holy and they'll say boring. And I reckon it's actually the same with heaven for lots of people. Most people think, yeah, it's better than hell, I guess. I'd I'd not like to go there. In fact, some of my non-Christian mates will actually say, you know, I'd rather be partying in hell with my mates than in heaven with all the boring people. Now, I know we're not supposed to think like that, but I think all this does creep into our picture of the future. And friends, here's where it bites If we live with a second-rate view of the end, where we're headed, then you'll fail to live in light of that reality today. 
If your picture of the future, of the Christian future is not clear, then you will not live in light of that reality today. Because if heaven's going to be a letdown, well, you better make sure you make this life now count. Because who knows if heaven's even worth living for. And in fact, if times get hard now, if it becomes hard to live the Christian life, will it even be worth pushing on toward the end? Many Christians give up without a clear view of the future, without a clear view of where we're headed, the Christian life unravels. We forget that heaven is our real home and instead we start to treat this place like home and we stop caring so much about whether we'll get there, let alone whether other people will come with us, we lose sight of the goodness of God, we lose sight of His promises when you lose sight of heaven. Now, tonight, we're coming to the end of this series in salvation, the the fullness of all the things that we've seen that Jesus has accomplished by His death and resurrection. And so, tonight, we come to the topic of our resurrection. We had a whole other week on Jesus' resurrection, and so, tonight, we're going to consider our resurrection, the end of the journey, the finish line, the whole goal of where this is headed. And I want to suggest, friends, that clarity on these things tonight is crucial such that you would live your life well now. If you want to live well, you need to begin with the end in mind. Where do I want to get? Where is this going? That will define how you live your life now. And I want to suggest that our view of these things is often too small, undercooked, underwhelming. Now, in fact, the word heaven isn't really the word that the Bible even uses particularly to describe the end for us. It talks about the heavens, the sky, the place of God's rule and so on, but it's really just a catch-all word, heaven is a catch-all word for going to be with God, is the way we're using that word. But if you're a Christian, here's the thing I want you to see tonight, here's where we're actually headed. First thing, we are headed, we're waiting for a new creation, That's where we're going. Now, again, like other weeks this term particularly, we're going to be jumping around in a whole bunch of Bible passages instead of just staying in one place where we did our Bible reading. And that's because I want us to capture the whole sweep of what the Bible teaches on this topic. And so come with me now over to 2 Peter chapter 3. We'll we'll, we'll go a few places, but come to 2 Peter chapter 3. And I've put all the verses on the screen as well. If you want to be lazy, feel free. But open your Bibles if you can. 2 Peter chapter 3. We'll pick it up in verse 5. Now, this passage here is comparing the first water flood from Genesis with the coming flood of the judgment of God. There's a comparison going on. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 5. It says this, But they deliberately forgot that long ago, by God's word, the heavens came into being, and the earth was formed out of water and by water. And by these waters also, the world at that time, back in Genesis, was deluged and, f- and destroyed. So there's a flood in Genesis that first of all destroyed the world, in a sense, and so verse 7, by the same word, the present heavens and earth are reserved, not for another flood, but for fire, being kept for the day of judgment and the destruction of the ungodly. So this is saying there is a day coming, there really will be a day when this world as we know it and experience it now will come to an end. Now, verse 10 fills that out. Have a look down there, verse 10. But the day of the Lord, the day when Jesus comes back, it'll come like a thief. 
The heavens will disappear with a roar, the elements will be destroyed by fire and the earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. You get this picture of this revealing judgment of God that exposes and uncovers all. Skip down to verse 12, halfway through. That day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire and the elements will melt in the heat. But in keeping with his promises, we're looking forward to, here it is, is what we're waiting for, a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. So this creation, as we know it, will come to an end in some sense, we'll come back to that, but there's more to it than that, it won't just, that's not it, it won't just stop, because we're waiting, we're looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth, it says. Now, I think those phrases, new heaven and new earth, isn't saying God's going to create two new physical spaces, a new heaven and a new earth, I think that's talking about the creation of one new creation of which God is the ruler of, the new heaven, in that God is the ruler of this one place, the new creation. So it's one physical new creation which God will rule. Now here's the thing, how will that happen? Because 2 Peter 3 makes it sound as though God is going to grab this current creation and just toss it, get rid of it, burn it up and start again. Picture your your iPhone's busted and old and the screen's cracked and the internals are all messed up and so you chuck it in the bin and you go to the shop and you buy a new phone, get rid of the old one, pick up a new one. Is that what God's going to do with our world? Toss this one, start again afresh. I don't think it's quite like that. Now, I think the language in 2 Peter 3 is kind of pushes you that way in some ways, fire and melting and all that kind of things. But I think that's talking about the refining judgment of God, laying all things bare, exposing, melting down in some sense, the purifying of this earth. But I don't think the new creation we're looking forward to is a toss this one, start again type situation. Come over with me now to another passage that will shed light on this. Come over to Romans chapter 8 and uh, I should, yeah... Tonight's going to be challenging, it's going to, make, it's going to stretch you, it'll make you think, but come over to Romans chapter 8 and see this expanded on and explained a little bit more. Romans 8 verse 19, I think rather than just the tossing of this creation and starting again, I think what we're actually looking forward to is the redemption of this creation, by fire and judgment and refining, yes, but it's the recreation of this creation. Have a look, Romans chapter 8, verse 19. It says, The creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it. In the hope that the creation itself won't just be destroyed, but will be liberated from its bondage to decay. And the creation brought into the freedom and the glory of the children of God. Now, I know this is complex, but do you see that? It's just like, in a sense, we will be liberated from our bodies of decay, this creation will be liberated from its frustration to the effects of the fall, it's looking forward to a liberation for this current creation, the end of decay and death and sin, creation itself will be freed from all of that and fixed, redeemed, perfected, made new. So going back to that iPhone idea I talked about a second ago, it's not as though God's going to grab this world, chuck it in the bin and just get a new one, 
Rather, it's more like taking your busted-up iPhone to a shop. No shop like this exists, but you take it to a shop where they break it down, they get all the parts out of it and the metals, and they melt that down and melt down the glass and reform this busted old iPhone that you brought in and from it fashion a whole new phone, (laughs) remade from the broken one that you brought in. So that kind of simultaneously, all at once, you've got an old phone in your hand because it's the one you brought in, but it's a new one because it's been remade into this new thing, a new and perfected version of the old one. I think that's a small picture of what God is going to do with this creation. So, a few little implications of this. First of all, life right now here on this planet, because God's not just going to scrunch up this creation and toss it, and, but, but, but because we know He's actually going to redeem this creation and because we know from Genesis that this creation was created good and is, is full of His, it's His glorious creation that He's put us in charge of, there's a sort of dignity to this creation even now, this busted version of it. And so it does matter that we look after God's good creation. It's good to pay attention to recycling and pollution and looking after the ocean. There's something right and proper that Christians would be concerned about doing that with the planet that God has made, which He's got big plans for in the future. But at the same time, it's also wonderfully comforting that our ultimate eternal destiny doesn't depend on us stopping global warming or pollution, as awful as those things are on God's good planet, this world will really be made new again. It will be fixed up, up. it will be perfected, never to be spoiled again by the ravages of sin and its effects. And so, live well, respect God's good creation, but more than that, look forward, get excited for the future in the new creation which will be a perfected, remade, better version of this one. And friends, secondly, here's what this means for our eternal future. Guys, the hope that we have for heaven is not this kind of disembodied, floating around in the clouds, singing songs with harps kind of a thing. It will be this creation made infinitely better a real physical rock-solid creation that you can touch and be in. There'll be trees that you can climb, water that you can swim in, things that you can taste and touch and feel. This creation will be incredible, it will be amazing. Everything good that you could conceive of in this world as you know it now, it'll be all of that and so much more with none of the bad. It will be very, very good. You are headed for a rock-solid physical new creation that you'll enjoy for all eternity. That's good news, isn't it? It's going to be really good. Now, here's the next logical question that flows. If that's where we're going, this physical new creation, well, what will we be like in this new creation? Well, here's the second thing. We're waiting now for new resurrection bodies. Um, Come over now to another passage, Philippians chapter 3 with me. Come over to Philippians chapter 3, verse 20. Have a look here. It says this, But our citizenship, our home, is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Saviour from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables Him to bring everything under His control, will transform 
our lowly bodies, these earthly ones, so that we will be like His glorious body. Now, there's a lot in that, but let's just pick it apart. There really is a day coming where Jesus will come back. He will turn up again here to judge the world, but verse 20, for those who are Christians, we're not waiting for Jesus as our judge, we're waiting for Him as our Saviour. For those who are in Christ, He will come as their Saviour and He'll give us, it says, new resurrection bodies to enjoy this new creation. But what exactly will these bodies in the future be like? What, what will the experience of that be like? Well, there's a couple of verse, details there in verse 21 which are really helpful. Notice it says, He will transform our lowly bodies. He'll transform them, not chuck them out and just start again, but transform you, your body. So, our resurrection bodies will get the same treatment as this new creation. It's not chuck it in the bin and start again, but it's the transformation of you, your body, resurrected and perfected forever. You'll be the perfect version of yourself. I always ask, like, will I have hair in heaven? Will I be 20-year-old Jono or 30? Who knows, you know, but it will be you, the perfected version of you. How good is that? If this is reality, how good is that? That is our future. Now, I don't know about you, but I, but I sometimes think about these things and kind of the, the physics of it, the biology of it, kind of can trip me out at times. Like, does this mean that if I, when I die, if I get cremated, is that going to, like, make extra work for God? Because He's got to put me back together? Like, what's going on with that? You know, is it extra hard for God? If I get cremated and then tossed into the ocean and a dolphin eats my ashes as well and, you know, and I get digested and all those kind of things... Like, am I making extra work for God? It's a funny kind of a thought. Like, what, what are we talking about here? It seems kind of weird to talk about a resurrection 2,000 years after whoever, Peter died, right? Well, just hang with me for a second, because maybe this little just reality of you and your body might help you conceive of this a bit better. Um, like, you are your body, you know, you are you. you, that's your body, that's who you are. But did you know that 90, 98% of the atoms that make up your body get replaced every five to seven years, just through normal growth and cell death, such that although you are your body and it's the same body you've always had, the atoms that made up your body five years ago are long gone and you're a whole new set of materials still making the same body today. It's a bit strange, but at a molecular level, your body is always changing and being remade, yet it's always, it's you, <laughs> it's me but I'm not the atoms I was five years ago. I take it that's something of what's going on with our resurrection body. So I don't think God needs to track down the atoms that make you today in the new creation to resurrect you. He's not like going to get your femur atoms and put them back together because probably some of those atoms belong to someone else's femur as well. Um, There's a thing going around on the internet that says that statistically, most of us at some point in our lifetime should have an atom in us that was a part of Einstein's body. I have no idea if that's true, but... Gee, Reddit said it, so it must be true, right? Anyway, so in the new creation, you will be you. You will be your, resur- you'll be your body, but it will be the resurrected, perfected version of itself. Now, as to where God gets the atoms from, who knows? But it will be your body transformed. Now, the second detail here in verse 21 is really helpful because it starts to land it with some clarity for us because it says this, it says that our bodies, our resurrected bodies will be like Jesus' glorious 
resurrected body. It says we will be like Jesus. Now, the cool thing about that is we've, we get to see Jesus resurrected in the Bible. He appeared as the resurrected Lord Jesus and hung out. And so, you get a very good insight into what all of that looks like. So, what was Jesus's resurrection body like? Well, a few things to pick up on. First, Jesus's resurrection body, our future resurrection body, will be similar to the ones we have now in lots of ways. When Jesus appeared to Mary, she thought he was like a gardener. She was like, oh, it's just some other dude, it's a gardener. When he appeared to the disciples on the road to Emmaus, they thought that Jesus was another traveller. So, we will be normal humans in some sense. Now, take it in these appearances, Jesus was concealing his glory in some fashion, but although glorious and different, our bodies are going to be human bodies, will be us. In fact, come over to Luke chapter 24 with me and just come and look at this close up with me. This is Jesus after He was resurrected, Luke chapter 24. Pick it up in verse 36. The disciples are in hiding, Jesus turns up, verse 36. While I was still talking about this, Jesus Himself stood among them and said to them, peace be with you. And they were startled and frightened, thinking they'd seen a ghost. But he said to them, why are you troubled and why do doubts arise in your minds? Look at my hands and my feet. It is I myself. Touch me and and see, a ghost does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. And when he said this, he showed them his hands and his feet, showing them the scars from his crucifixion. And while they still did not believe it because of joy and amazement, he asked them, do you have anything to eat? And they gave him a piece of broiled fish and he took it and he ate it in their presence. Now, that gives us a lot, doesn't it, when it comes to what's your resurrection body going to be like? You will not be a spirit, a ghost, you'll be flesh and bone. You can touch each other in the new creation. He shows them the scars on his body, it really is him. He even has a little snack, eats a fish with them. And in fact, in John's Gospel, Jesus, even the resurrected Jesus, in His resurrection body, He builds a fire, cooks some fish on it, gives some to them and eats some Himself. Now, I don't know if this says something problematic about me, but I'm so happy that there'll be barbecues in the new creation. And so it will be with you. You will be you, but you'll be perfected, transformed. Now, the Bible reading we had, 1 Corinthians 15, it says that we will no longer be perishable in our bodies, but we'll be imperishable, immortal, sustained by God, immortal. Verse 20, uh, Revelation 21 says that in this new creation, in these new resurrected bodies, there will be no more pain or crying or death. You'll be you, but it will be so much better. Does all of this make you keen for the new creation? Clarity of where you're headed. It will last forever into eternity and it will be so, so good. So Christians, ditch, ditch the idea of floating in the clouds and playing a harp for all eternity and get excited for a physical, embodied new creation that you will live in for all eternity. That's where we're headed. And it's worthwhile recognising that our experience here and now in these bodies, it's, it's a funny one at best, isn't it? 
You're born and you're a little kid and you've got those big head, tiny body thing going on. It's kind of cute, but then you grow into your body and puberty and hormones and pimples and voice pops and all that. It's a hot mess. But maybe if you're lucky, there's this sweet time, maybe in your 20s, where you're like, yeah, actually, it's pretty good here in this body. I'm, I'm fit, I'm healthy, this is pretty good. And then it's all downhill from there. I was was driving through Terrigal the other day and I saw this bloke who was ripped as and he was covered from like, like just entire body covered in tattoos and he was jogging along with no shirt on and I was like, man, that dude is living for no other body but this one right now and the tattoos would have cost a lot of money but like... He's going to age and his, his tattoos are going to get saggy, look like a, an old saggy elephant or something like that. It's going to, it's going to turn bad for him. Um, now, you might have an experience of good health in a good body for, 20 years, for a few years in your 20s or whatever. But the fact is, for many of us, we actually feel like we get robbed even of that, don't we? Now, I'm not trying to whinge here, but I was diagnosed with arthritis, like inflammatory arthritis when I was 16 and so I was going to have sore joints and damaged joints that would never quite heal, life on medication, all that kind of stuff. But really, I think I'm comparably lucky to many people. Some of you guys, you're young, but you're sick, like really sick. And sometimes maybe you miss these people among us because it's harder for them to even just get by in church life. But brothers and sisters, there are people among us who live with chronic pain, constant trips to hospital and doctors and knees that are busted, that are never going to play sport the way they once did, but you're only 22 years old. Chemical imbalances in your brain and your body that mean you are plagued by depression and anxiety daily. And all of that can leave you here and now in this body feeling like you've been robbed. And if you're lucky enough to enjoy a good few years of health in this body that you've got... Well, friends, the bad news is with time, (laughs) your back's going to start aching, your waist will expand, your skin and all its tattoos are going to start sagging and you'll get sick. You'll need surgeries. You'll go to hospital. You'll get told you're dying. Now, why? You ever wonder why God would allow such suffering in these bodies that we live in now? Now, we won't answer that question in its fullness tonight, but it does make me wonder. It's almost as if God wants us to know that this body is not all there is. These bodies that you've got now, they're temporary. God wants you to know this is not home. You are not there yet. This is not permanent. You're waiting for something better. You're waiting for renewal you're waiting for something eternal. Isn't it a kindness of God, actually, when He doesn't leave us engrossed in this life, in this body, but He actually prepares us for the life to come by reminding us of all these things? Friends, a day in the hospital is better for the soul than a day at the beach. Remember that when those times come in life. Yes, grieve, ask God for healing, all of that. But don't be robbed of the opportunity to to be reminded of where you're actually heading. Your eternal home, your perfected body. Amen? Amen. Now, it needs to be said, 
there's one more thing about this new creation and our resurrection in it, which will make all of this so much better than anything you could enjoy here on earth. But to get to that, and we will get to that, but the the journey to that is going to take us through a tricky question that I want us to dig in right now. This is going to stretch us, but think about this well with us, it's important to do. Think about this, if I had died yesterday, where would I be right now? If I died yesterday, where would I be? If any of us die before Jesus comes back and brings the resurrection and the new creation, if that happens first, where do you go? What happens? Well, here's the last thing I want us to see tonight, and I've got to warn you, this is conceptually tricky, but I reckon it's worth it because you need to understand this stuff and think clearly about where we're actually headed when we die, or you live with a fluffy, unformed version of this. But here it is. Until the new creation, our souls will wait in an intermediate state with God. (laughs) Now, sorry, that's a big word, isn't it? The intermediate state, that's a theological term, it's not a word that the Bible uses anywhere, but... Simply put, the intermediate state, it's heaven before the new creation comes. It's heaven, in some fashion, before the new creation arrives. Think about this for a second. Remember the thief on the cross. He's dying, he's, he's there next to Jesus, they're both dying on the cross and he pleads with Jesus. He says, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And what does Jesus say to that thief? He says, I tell you today you'll be with me in paradise. Today, you'll be with me in paradise. Now, has that thief been resurrected and entered the new creation yet? Well, no. So, where's this paradise he was meant to have entered on that day? Two options that Christians will talk about. Some people will say that the thief and all other dead Christians are going through what's called a thing called soul sleep. So, his body is rotted away in the ground, but his soul is unconscious of time or even outside of time such that Almost as in an instant, he dies on the cross and he's then awoken, resurrected in the new creation. That's one idea that Christians hold to. The second option is this idea of the intermediate state, the place where God is even without your resurrected body, an in-between place that exists now for your soul to go and be with God. And I think that's what the Bible actually teaches. And so, let me show you this. Come over to 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and we'll see if we can get our heads around this. Who's confused? (laughs) Who's confused? A little bit, that's all right. One time I made my Bible study debate the intermediate state versus uh, soul sleep and a fun time was had by all and lots of resolution. All right, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, come there. Um, This seriously is worth getting your heads around because I think what happens when you don't think this through is you're left with this kind of mushy, unformed view of what actually happens when you die And all sorts of doubts and confusion and questions can arise if you're not clear on this. But pick it up, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 1. He's using an analogy here. He's talking about an earthly tent, which is our body here on this earth, a temporary dwelling, this body now, versus the permanent building of our resurrected bodies. He's using this analogy, contrasting them. So have a look, chapter 2 Corinthians 5, verse 1. For we know that if the earthly tent we live in is destroyed, if this body is destroyed, we have a building from God, an eternal house in heaven, our resurrected bodies, not built by human hands. Meanwhile, we groan, longing to be clothed instead with our heavenly dwelling. We're waiting for these resurrection bodies because when we are clothed, we'll be not found naked. 
So you get that? This body, it's a tent, it's a temporary dwelling. We're looking forward to the permanent resurrection bodies, waiting for them, groaning for them. But then this new problem gets introduced in verse 6. It's like a dilemma that he wrestles with. He says, it's good to have a body now uh, compared to having no body at all. Have a look at verse 6. He says, therefore, we're always confident and know that as long as we're at home in the body, in this life now, we're away from the Lord, for we live by faith, not by sight. We are confident and I say, I'd prefer to be away from the body in this life now and be at home with the Lord. See, here here Paul, they're talking about an existence that's away from the body, but with God. So the good thing about now is you have a body, that's a a good thing. But the bad thing is that it's away from the Lord. And Paul says he'd rather be unclothed, not in his body, away from it, but with God in heaven, in the intermediate state. And so do you see what's been said about heaven now? There is a place where you can go to be with the Lord, but not with your resurrection body yet. There is a place that's happening now for the souls of the dead, the intermediate state. They're with God, not clothed in a body. So where's that thief on the cross who Jesus said, I'll see you in paradise today? Well, his body's rotted in the ground, but he's with the Lord in paradise. Now, I know this is a bit weird, but I'm going to try and land this by giving you some rankings here. If you had to rank the different modes of existence we've talked about, just to clarify, just follow this up on the screen here. Paul says, it's good to be here on this planet in a body. He then says, it's better to have no body but go and be with God in the intermediate state, in heaven. But he says, it's best to be in a resurrection body with God in the new creation. Do you see the kind of thing that we're, we're mapping out there? The best possible thing you could be headed for is the new creation with new bodies. That's the moment that all creation is waiting for. The resurrection of the dead, where we'll be embodied, but with the Lord in the new creation. Friends, that is the future we are all headed for if you're in Christ. But this has a few important implications to think about now. First one is this you are your body, you are body and soul, but that's who you are and so there's actually something unnatural, less good about being away from your body, that's not as good as being in your body. Now, the intermediate state with God in heaven now is better because you're with God but there's something unnatural about being away from your body, you are your body, it's you, you are body and soul but yet here's the bigger thing and it's shown by what we've just looked at, It's good to have a body, but it's better to be with God. Friends, the best thing about heaven, the best thing about the intermediate state, if you want to call it that, the best thing about the new creation is God. God is the great treasure of heaven. He's the great gift of eternity. Now, I hope tonight, as you've gotten into the details of our resurrection and the physical new creation, I hope the reality of that has got you keen for all of that. As you picture what life might be perfected and transformed in a resurrection body, I hope you're keen for all of that, but all of that is nothing incomparable in comparison to this one incredible thing. We will be with God. We will be His. He will be ours. We'll see Him face to face, 
Revelation says he'll wipe every tear from our eyes. It says there won't be any need for the sun or the moon or a lantern because God's glory will light up the place. Now, I don't know what in that is imagery, but do you get the point? Friends, we have a wonderful future, an incredible hope. This is our joy. This is the ending we are walking towards. And all that is yours if you are in Christ. What a thing we are headed for. Now, as you step back and take all of that in, as all that we've seen tonight, if you step back, uh, what, is, what do you do with all of this? How do you land this in your life when you get out of bed tomorrow? I'll give you two things, two big things. It's pretty simple though. First thing is this, make sure you get there. Make sure you're going to be there. As I finish up this sermon, uh, these are some of my last words to you guys as, as your pastor here at EV Night. In a sense, this is a sort of a goodbye. <laughs> but in another sense, it's not at all when you understand this because we will have eternity to be together, brothers and sisters, in the new creation. What matters in this life is that you make sure you're there at the end. Nothing matters more than that. Are you a Christian? Is your trust in Jesus? Are you right with God? There's only one way to get there. Jesus says it so clearly. It's by His death and His resurrection and your trust in Him to do it for you. Is your faith in this Jesus? And secondly, if you are a Christian, then make sure you continue in Him. Don't give up. Don't stop growing as a Christian. Don't stop depending on Him. Don't buy the lie from this world that this is all there is and that this is the one to live for. Friends, when times get tough, when the Christian life is hard and it seems easy just to stop and chuck in the towel, remember the world to come. Remember the new creation. Remember your God and His love for you that He's already shown you so clearly in the Lord Jesus Christ. I won't see you around at church much next year, but I'll see you in heaven. Make sure you're there. And second, this is so obvious, but it needs to be said. Make sure you bring as many people with you as possible. If this is what it's all about, make sure you bring as many people with you as possible. 1 Corinthians 15 was our Bible reading tonight, and it's this mammoth marathon of 58 verses. It's the longest passage in the New Testament about the resurrection, Jesus' resurrection and ours. But it ends, the, the, the climax of it all is in verse 58. Here's where it all heads to, verse 58. Here's the point, here's the conclusion. He says, Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord, because you know that your labour in the Lord is not in vain. It is no waste to spend your life on this message of Jesus. Death ruins a lot of things in this world, but the resurrection means that Jesus' work, the work of the Lord, the work of seeing people become Christians and stay Christians and grow in Christ, that is a work that lasts forever. It'll last into eternity. Friends, Jesus' resurrection is real, it happened. Our resurrection is real. It will happen. 
And so serve Jesus and his people. Strive to see more and more people become Christian. Share the gospel. Grow God's people. None of that will be a waste in eternity. These things you're giving yourselves to are of eternal value. Now, as I've said, I'm I'm finishing up here at EV Night, but guys, the mission of EV Night does not stop. There's still 40,000 young people under the age of 25 uh, in this kind of crew all over the Central Coast who don't know Jesus. They're headed for an eternity without God and without hope unless they hear this message of the Gospel. And so EV Night, stay on that mission. Keep giving yourselves to the work of the Lord. Stand firm. Don't stop. Use your days well, brothers and sisters. Let's pray. Oh, Father God, we thank you so much for the hope that is ours in the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you for the assurance that all spiritual blessings are ours in Christ that we're justified, adopted, given your spirit, assured of a future resurrection with the Lord Jesus. Father, I pray that this vision of the future, this vision of reality would be one that shapes every day of our life here on this planet now. I pray, please, that There would be none here in this room, even tonight, who claim to know the Lord Jesus, but yet in the years ahead walk away from Him. And Father, I pray, please, that Evie Knight would continue to push ahead in this mission of seeing this gospel news, this hope, go out across the coast and beyond. Please, Lord, keep growing your church, keep adding to our number, see more saved, we pray, and all of this for your glory and for our joy. Amen.